Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? Well, I don't suppose this ever happened to you, Dave, but have you ever had someone enroll in your program and it didn't quite work out because they were looking for a magic pill and they didn't take responsibility for what happened? Oh, my God. It's happened more times than I could ever think about. You know, you, 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 somebody engages you because they think, you know, you're, you, you're delivering what they need. And then you realize that this person is just not putting the work in. It's frustrating. Has that happened to you? It has actually. And then sometimes, probably not the case with you, they blame me. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It's like, all I'm here is to provide, I say alls, but you know, that's my grandfather, alls, alls I do, right? But I'm here to provide the framework and the education, but just like any anything else, you have to put the energy and work into it. And somehow their failure to put the work in is my fault. That's so true. You know, it, it's funny. Even when I was in telecom and I was selling equipment, right? So you can see that with a service like you and I provide where you're doing some sort of coaching or training or however you want to work it, right? Um, but I was selling hardware, something physical. But what I'd find is we'd go through the sales process and they talk about all the problems and challenges they had from you know a communication perspective. And I would show them, oh, here's, here's the different features that if you use them will resolve this issue. And they get all excited about it. And then we do the deal. We install the equipment. And a month, two months, three months later, they're using it exactly like they were the old equipment. They've completely mm. blown off, even though we've trained them on it, how to do the new things. And, and in their mind, they're going, this was, you know, I just got updated what I used to have. And, and, and sometimes they're okay with it, sometimes not, but they've never taken advantage of it. What causes that, do you think? Well, have you ever heard of the accountability continuum? Uh, well, I mean, you've mentioned it to me before, but as you know, it's not something I'm super familiar with, although I will be after this conversation. You'd be more familiar with. How's that? We don't know how super familiar you'd be. You'll be but, more familiar with it. Well, I love the word super, right? Because that's all relative. What's that mean anyway? It is relative. Good point. So, I mean, I've got three kids and two grandchildren. And that's funny to say. Anyway, um, I, um, I, uh, I have this challenge. And so let's say my youngest kid doesn't clean his room. And I go, hey, Darren, go clean your room. And he goes, dad, my room is clean. And so the very first thing he'll do is, and the very bottom of the list is denial. He'll deny it. No, it's clean. It's clean. And I'll walk into the room and I'll say, Darren, the room is not clean. And he goes into blame. See the blame, shame. We'll talk about that in a second. But blame is my room was clean. CJ must have come in my room, look for something and trashed it again. And then above 
blame is worry and above worry is hope. I'm worried that he may come into the room and if he sees my room is messy, I'm going to get in trouble for it. I hope to God he never comes into my room because if he doesn't see it, it doesn't happen. So a lot of times people stay in denial and blame. Sometimes people get to worry and hope, but I thought I'd stop right there and just talk about the, the, for the lower part of the equation below the line. Sure. Well, when you, well, a couple of questions come to mind. So when you talk about the line, what is the line you're referring to? Well, we want to stay above the line. So the first thing is the line of, I want to see it. I want to, I want to seek solutions and do it. But a lot of times leaders, salespeople don't go above the line. They stay below the line because it's safer. All right. So you just actually moved into my second question was how does this pertain to persuasion? And so what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that this accountability continuum is where are we on, on along it? And if we're above this line, we're, we're being some degree of accountable. If we're below the line, we are not being accountable. In other words, we are not owning our own. We're not owning our own shit. That's just, that's, you know, right. So, so it's somebody else's issue on that. From a sales or leadership perspective, if I'm dealing with somebody, this is a really powerful tool, right? Because I can listen to you if let's say I'm having a counseling session with you because your performance is subpar and I'm thinking to myself, where are you on this continuum, right? If it's always somebody else's fault, that tells me one thing. And if it's your own fault, right? You're taking responsibility. You're above the line. That's another. In fact, this, this brings to mind uh, years ago when I was in the moving business, I had in that industry, it's not uncommon to have uh, uh, ex-convicts as employees. Now, mm -hmm. we didn't hire people who were convicted of crimes of moral turpitude if they you know, were thieves, liars, which is a form of thievery in my book, right? It's, 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 it's um, you're still, you're misrepresenting things so you can get something. It's just a, a little more subtle than just taking it. Um, but it's still one and the same. We didn't hire people like that. However, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, um, people who were drugs or whatever. And I had one gentleman who was our, our supervisor in our um, warehouse. And when I was talking to him just in general about his experiences, he completely owned, you know, yep, this was me. I was a knucklehead. I made some really stupid choices when I was younger you know, and I spent some time in jail and prison, not jail, prison. Uh, and folks, there is a difference um, in prison because of it, you know, and I'm never doing that again. Right. And and so I knew he was rehabilitated because he owned his own stuff. Right. So, so when I'm listening to people from a leadership perspective, I'm talking about their behavior. If they don't own it, they're below that line. That's a problem. Mm hmm. Yeah. What's interesting to me is one of the things that I um, rules that I have when I'm learning new theories, and this is a theory, right? There's no way to quote prove this. So it's a theory is how does this relate to other theories in similar or related areas? And, you know, I've recently been introduced 
to the work of a, a Dr. Donald Epstein, um, uh, what, uh, which is a network approach to wholeness in his book, The 12 Stages of Healing. And there's a direct parallel here too, right? So he's he's talking about how do we deal with the, and he's a chiropractor, so he's looking at body, mind, trauma. So how does what goes on in our life affect our body? And then how do we get our body to be healthier? Well, it's not just our body, it's our whole whole being. And so his 12 stages of healing start out in a very similar way where, where stage one is what he calls suffering, which is you just know you're in pain, right? So Darren in this particular instance, he just knows oh, my, my room's a mess, right? And God, I, yeah, I, my room's a mess. I, I, I'm a sloppy person, right? And mm-hmm. stage two is we sort of move out of that and we start to recognize that um, there's rhythms and polarities in our life, right? So um, in this particular case, it's, you know, dad forces me to clean up my room. It gets cleaned up. And then, you know, as I start doing things, it always goes back to messy again. And I'm, I'm in this cycle of messy, clean, messy, clean, messy, clean. Then stage three is stuck in a perspective where, and the other thing about stage two is a lot of times it's a lot of blame, shame too, or magic pill, right? You're, you're saying it's somebody else's fault. It's my brother's fault. Um, I wasn't raised to be neat. Maybe, you know, uh, like in my particular case, you know, my, my mother was not neat. My room was always uh, uh, just a pigsty and it's my mother's fault, right? She didn't keep a neat house. So how could I be expected to keep, keep a neat room? Right. This this um, resonate with what you were talking about? Absolutely. The first two steps specifically, you nailed it head on. Yeah. And and so what's interesting is the next step there, and I'm wondering how this car correlates, is uh, stuck in a perspective. In other words, you recognize that, wait a second, there's this pattern. And I realize that maybe... It's not these outside influences. It's me. I don't know what it is about me that's causing this, but I'm stuck in this perspective and I need to move out of this perspective. It's a little higher level of healing. What's that look like from from your uh, accountability continuum? Well, I don't know if that dovetails worry and hope, but I'm worried that I'm going to get found out. And I hope he doesn't come into my room because if he doesn't come in my room, he'll never know. And, you know, if you think about that, I'm worried I'm going to get found out. I hope all of a sudden it's turning internal. Yep. And I'm recognizing that hmm, maybe it's me. I don't know how to get out of this yet, but this is me. And I'm concerned. That sounds very stage three ish to me. Very stage three ish. Absolutely. So we've got the first three steps anyway, dovetail quite nicely. So how do we use this in sales and leadership from a persuasion? Well, if I look at sales in particular, I can eliminate factors. So let's say there's four key things that a sales assessment measures, which is desire, which is desire, commitment, outlook, and responsibility, right? And so we can look at those factors and typically people that are below the line are typically people that are saying they don't take responsibility. So the responsibility would be low on an assessment. 
And so I would say, okay, they blame the environment, they blame the economy. Let's say the environment is out of the equation while your, while your sales number is done. Well, it's the economy. Okay, let's take the economy out of the equation. So what I'm doing one at a time is I'm having a conversation going, okay, if it's not this, then why else might this be? And so inevitably, someone has to start to at least look at that they have a place in this. So that's one thing, is having them try to take responsibility for those numbers, for those behaviors. We can't control numbers. We can control behaviors. So the question I would have in the leadership perspective back at you, sir, is how do you think this relates to a leadership perspective as far as persuasion? Well, I mean, it's it's the same thing there, right? Because you, what you're really talking about is sales leadership. How do I lead salespeople and how do I use this as a tool? And I don't really care whether you're selling, uh, working on the factory line, um, you know, uh, customer service rep, uh, service rep out in the field. It doesn't really matter what your job is, a COO, you know, a COO maybe reporting to a board of directors. If somebody um, is blaming outside factors, right? As, as, as you just indicated, we can't, uh, we can't control what happens. We can only control how we react to it. Mm-hmm. The action is critical. And so if somebody's blaming outside factors, they're not owning it, then they basically they're victims. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's, that's an assessment level, but, but going back to sales for a second, can't we use this when we're talking with prospects as well? Oh, absolutely. Cause you want to get a sense of where they are as far as what's their responsibility in all this. My salespeople suck. Oh, your salespeople suck. You're not taking any responsibility. Because I can say, well, well, who hired them? And you would say, you did. Okay, so you're still not taking responsibility. So I think you use this with customers, with clients, with prospects. I think it runs the same, the exact same way. No, I, I absolutely agree. And I, I would take this a step farther, actually, because if I'm selling a product or service, why are they looking for that change? Well, if they're looking for the change because there's some outside factor in their mind, that is preventing them from being successful, and they're looking at this as a magic bullet, then the odds of your solution being successful are pretty slim, unless it really is a magic bullet. But most products and services that I've experienced in my 60 years of life require me to do something. And yeah. if I don't take that responsibility, you know, I could buy the greatest product service in the world. Um, Let's just say, for example, I, I decide I want to, I'm a, I'm a hauling company and I want to buy a heavy duty truck to haul things with. And I go and buy the, what I believe to be the best heavy duty truck in the world. And I know this is going to allow me to haul a lot more, but I don't do any maintenance on it. I don't take responsibility for it. And it starts breaking down. And then, oh, I bought this piece of junk truck, right? So if I'm the salesperson, that's a terrible sales for me because I'm not going to get the referrals. I'm not going to write, I'm not going to have a happy customer, right? Sure. I get a transaction out of it and then nothing but headaches afterwards. On the other hand, if that same person is like, well, you know, I I have this old truck. It's a light duty truck. I've, I've been abusing the heck out of it in terms of the loads, but you know, this gets a ton of maintenance. So I've been able to coax it along well beyond its capability and, you know, I, I'm ready for a bigger truck and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, right? And it's about me. 
Now I have somebody who's above the accountability line in your world, you know, from your paradigm. And I know it's going to be successful because I sell them a heavy duty truck and they treat it the same way. It's really going to perform for them. So understanding where a prospect is on this is huge in understanding where the level of success you're going to have. And then of course you have to ask yourself, do I really want this person as a client, as a customer? Right. And that goes back to setting those ground rules, you know, that we covered in a previous podcast. Not everybody is a customer, nor do you want everybody as a customer. And it gives you so much power and credibility when you say, if it's not a good fit, would you feel comfortable telling me no? And of course they'll feel excited about that. Right. Yeah. Cause they never get a chance to tell anybody no. And then the next piece is if I don't think what I have will bring value to you, are you okay if I tell you no? Because if you're trying to sell someone a silver bullet, they're going to end up blaming you in the, in the long run. It's kind of like, if I may, years ago, when you were involved in President's Club, you probably had some people from the Chamber of Commerce that were in there. And maybe it was Grace or somebody. And um, some people would join the chamber, not get anything out of the chamber, and then blame the chamber versus joining the chamber and not investing in time and resources in the chamber and then um, quitting the chamber. Does that make sense? No, it makes it makes perfect sense. Right. They don't take responsibility. As you know, I joined the chamber at that time to meet you and to take your class, which I obviously this worked out tremendously for both of us. I'd like to think for both of us. I know it did for me. I don't yes. want to speak for you. Because um, here we are, you know, a dozen or more years later, you know, and this is still going. That was a really excellent investment on my part. Did I get any business out of the chamber? Uh, not that I recall. Mm. And it was still worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I think about, you know, what I do, uh, you know, my new, I actually have a new accountability academy. It's interesting you brought this up today. Um, because this is designed around helping people uh, help their teams be more accountable. But frankly, it starts out with them, right? The, the day one of Accountability Academy is all about us as an individual for so many different reasons. If our, if our, our team will mirror the behaviors we exhibit. And so if we're not holding ourselves accountable, how can we hold other people accountable? Good point. Can you give like a two minute um, overview of the Accountability Academy? So if anybody wants to enroll, they can contact you. Is that not the time or place? No, I mean, you know, basic. Yeah, I'm happy to. So if you're having a team that's not performing to the highest level that you think they're capable of, just give me a call or, you know, contact me to reach out through my webpage and let's have a conversation to see if it's right for you. It's not for everybody. And I don't just accept everybody in there. But the results out of this are absolutely tremendous because um, people's teams transform into performers. People learn how to hold people accountable in a correct and healthy way. Right? So much of it is our mindset. So going into that accountability conversation with the right mindset is just so absolutely critical, you know, and what's that look like? Um, and, uh, and at the end of the day, um, not only are you more productive and your team is more productive, your customers are happier. And if you work for, if it's not your business, I promise you uh, ownership or, or executive, the C-suite is going to be just as static with those performances. That's wonderful. 
appreciate that. And then, so what's the next step up? Maybe step four. Yeah. So what happens after step three, right? If you think about this, and we've probably all been through that stage three, where you know, you, you all of a sudden you have this epiphany that, you know. So Dr. Laura has always talked about you know pickers broke, right? People go through that same um, relationship time and time again. You know, the ex-wife, the new girlfriend doesn't matter. It's it's the same same person, different face, and 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 then you have that realization. And so this is stage three. Huh, what's the common denominator? Maybe it's me. So stage four is that that sense of darn it, I'm going to do something about this. It's, it's this, I'm going to change. And that's that's a transition point where maybe you don't know what you're going to change. You haven't figured that piece out yet, but you know you're going to change and you're going to stop engaging in those behaviors um, that have not served you at all. And, and so that's stage four is, is I'm ready to change. Okay. Or I not necessarily I'm ready because there's some things are going to have to get done first, but um, I accept the fact that I need to change. And that's usually followed quickly by, by, by stage five, obviously, which is uh, merging beyond the illusion, right? So, you know, you need to change. You don't know what it's going to look like yet. And you have this illusion that this is the way things are like, let's just go back to relationships. I'm not worthy, you know, or, or, you know, um, I'm fat, unlovable, dumb, whatever it might be, whatever that self-talk is that has you keep picking the same, or this is the only kind of relationship I know. Maybe your parents had that relationship. So this is what relationships look like, you know? And all of a sudden you go, well, wait a second, that's an illusion. Cause there's a lot of healthy relationships out there. And maybe before this, you didn't recognize it cause you weren't ready. All of a sudden you go, my friend, John, he's got this great relationship and you know, they've been together forever and they just support each other. And huh, maybe there's more to it out there than that, right? So that's merging beyond the illusion, right? Again, to you know, go just from a business accountability, I've had people say to me, you know, nobody acts like an adult. They're just children. I constantly have to watch out, watch what they do. And then that merging beyond that illusion might be realizing, oh, wait a second, there's other companies and other places and other peoples. And maybe the issue is I've got the wrong perspective and there's another way for me to be. So that's, that's, that's stage five. And then stage six is you actually get rid of that, which does not serve you. Right. Because you have to be ready, right. You have to get rid of something before you're ready to take on something new. So maybe those attitudes go away. Maybe people go away who are bad people. You know, I don't mean bad as in they're a bad person, but not appropriate for what you're looking to become, right? And that's that's the getting ready. That's that now you're ready for stage seven, which is when the new paradigm comes into your life, and then your new you, you take actually take control of your power. Got it. And so, based on your experience, based on what you've learned. Where do most people fit? I don't know that I would say most people. I, I don't have enough knowledge to say, you know, how many people are at stage one. And when we're at different stages, you don't go through one and you stay there. You're constantly fluctuating. Right. And, you know, you can be, you can be at, at, at stage, you know, six, seven, you know, eight, you know, which is, you know, you, you've now incorporated this new reality on some aspects of your life and still have, you know, be in stage two and in, in polarity and other aspects of your life. 
right? So you're constantly moving in and out of them and it's not linear, right? You can jump from, from, from 11, which is, you know, receiving the gifts, you know, which is when you're open to the world and you're just, you know, you're really pretty healed and healthy and, it, and your energy state is that you're open to receive the gifts that the world and universe has to give you and to share your gifts freely, right? A lot of times people don't want to share their knowledge or gifts freely because they feel constrained for whatever reason, unworthy, whatever those, those mindsets might be. You know, stage 11, you're like, you know, I have something to share with the world and I'm happy to give it and I'm happy to receive from them, right? And it's that give and take. And you can bounce from that down to stage two where something is wrong and you're going, oh my God, something. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you have this epiphany and you go boom, boom, boom through the stages again. So you're mo- constantly moving. I think awareness of the stages though is critical because then I know for me, when I find myself starting to blame outside sources, that victim mentality, you know, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, slow your roll. Maybe I need to reevaluate this. And that's the power here is it gives you that kind of tool. Do you find just based on what's going on in our society right now, culturally, that we're seeing a lot of people that will stay in victimization because it's safer for them and they're getting validation for doing that? Or would you not suggest that at all? Or is it depends? Well, no, I think you, I think it's interesting. This is a really, you know, conversation that I didn't expect to have on this podcast because my coach and I were talking about this as well that, you know, she thinks, and I tend to agree with her, we're as a society, you know, we go through the same thing and, you know, we're probably stage four. I'm frustrated. I'm not going to take this anymore. Right. Um, And we don't know what tomorrow looks like, but you know, we've seen a polarity stage two, right? Mm-hmm. They're wrong. You're wrong. We're, we're right. They're wrong. No, we're right. They're wrong. Right. Anybody who turned on the news today, which I almost have to throw up when I hear that, you know, you, you're confronted by that, you know, um, just switch between CNN and Fox, right. And, and you'll catch the polarity right there. Mm-hmm. Right? But it hasn't, it, it's been that way in the past. Yep. You know, certainly a student of history will recognize that, you know, in the uh, late 18th century, uh, the the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans, which was one party at the time, you know, they they had this battle, you know, and it was the same thing where newspapers at the time were owned by one or the other, uh, sympathizers for one or the other, and their perspective was one way or the other. So we've been here before, which then tells me that there's another reality because we weren't always this way. And perhaps, you know, we're, we're now getting close to getting ready to merge beyond that illusion and figure out a new way, because what we have, what, what's going on right now is very unhealthy. You have a crystal ball. Over the next 12 months, what are some things you think we'll see societal and socially in our, in our society? I don't have a crystal ball. I decided seriously last year, um, that I had to return it. It was, uh, and it wasn't under warranty, so I couldn't even get it replaced. And so I just threw it out because I thought last year that the pandemic would have been over by the summer. And, you know, right now, even though we have, um, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a widely disseminated vaccine and a huge number of people who have survived it, meaning, you know, we have uh, an enormous portion of our population who have some form of 
immunity, whether natural or through the um, vaccine. And yet we also have a large portion of our population that are still scared and afraid. Um, and so I, I give up predicting. Uh, I just want to live my life as best I can and help people as best I can and let people know that, you know, everything works out in the end. And if it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. So I, I can't attribute that. It's anonymous, wise Irish saying, but it's one I live by. So I think a year from now, um, 15 months from now, we'll be in a better place than we are today. Can we take that to the bank? You can take it wherever you want, but I'm not giving any refunds. <laughs> Fair enough. That makes total sense to me. So as we start to think about winding down, as we start to think about winding down, Dave, I'm curious, what are some takeaways that we've discussed thus far? I think there's a couple of things we, uh, I'd like for our listeners to get out of this conversation. So on two different fronts. So one is the personal front, which is take control of your own destiny. Right? Yep. Don't, don't cede your power. No matter how much you think something is external to yourself and you have no control over it, when you think that, you're right, right? That's why Henry Ford once famously quipped, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Mm -hmm. If you think that you've, it's outside your control, it's outside of your control. And literally all it takes is for you to think that it, you can control how you react to it. And it changes that dynamic tremendously. Then use it as a tool for talking to whomever it is you're, you're talking to in your persuasion techniques, your prospects, your team members, whomever that might be, stakeholders, right? You could be managing up, you could be managing down, you can be managing sideways, outside, doesn't matter. And think to yourself, where are they? And then without confronting them, right? Because it doesn't help for me to go, no, Darren, you're stuck in a perspective. You'll never see that, right? We, we know that. Right. But how can you act as a healthy mirror for them to help them potentially see that there's other alternatives? In your conversation, and then if if it's a if it's a somebody who's you know, works for you, and depending on where this conversation lies, meaning you know is at a critical juncture, you need then use that as an evaluation tool. Is this somebody who is rehabable? You know, can 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 we can we make them healthier, which is really what we're talking about, and mm -hmm. become responsible, or is this a change I need to make because you know that opportunity isn't there. That's brilliant. And for me, a couple of perspectives I would hope they get is yes, from an individual perspective is take a responsibility. It's funny. I did some work with Alexis and I went into their office, their corporate office, and it said, if you think you can, or whether you think you can, either way, you're right. And it had the CEO of Alexis that was quoted. So I found that ironic that it did not come from Henry Ford. According to Lexus, it came from the CEO of Lexus. But I thought that was interesting. So that's one. Yeah, that is interesting. I've always seen that. And, and folks, if you know better or, or, or have some source, because I've, I've looked at this and I've always seen that uh, attributed to Henry Ford. Certainly if the CEO of Lexus said it and 
you know, I'm, I'm mistaken. Uh, I will take responsibility for that. Let me know. Yeah, same. I always thought it was Henry Ford as well. So I'm right with you. And then the second piece corporately to build on, on what you were saying is, yes, are they rehabable? Are they coachable? Are they trainable? And I think we do them a disservice if they're not and we let them stay where they're at because they're doing a, a disservice to not just the person, the company, the family, everybody. So I think it's really important to be able to have that honest conversation. And the last question I had for you, Dave, is how do you hold up that mirror that allows people to be able to say, I can look at this rather than personalize it or getting offended by it? Any suggestions or tips? Or if you don't, that's okay too. Yeah, you know, I, I think do it with number one, where where is your heart? Do it, do it from a place of love and caring, right? Yep. In other words, this is not your time to be right and them wrong. If 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 you're coming from that place, it'll never be received. Um and you know, I, I invite a couple phrases that come to mind that I help I, I invite you to consider. Here's what I observed, right? Don't put it on them. Put it on you is what you've observed. And ask them if, you know, if that rings true, does this resonate with them? Do they see it that way? And depending on, we talked about NLP and, and how people perceive whatever language it is that you need to use that will, re- that hopefully will connect with them. That's how I would do it. But how would you do it? Very this much the same way. Offer, if I had a suggestion, would you want to hear it? Or should I keep it to myself? That's another one I've used. Every single time people have said, I would like to know. Or how can I share something with you that you might be upset with without getting you upset? Just say it. There you go. So now there's permission to say whatever you want to say with still with love. Right. And I think folks, if you don't know what to say, just follow your instincts and come from your heart. A lot of, Oh, here's something else I've said before. I said, you know, if you were my brother or sister, this is what I'd want to say to you. Is it okay if I share that with you? Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, it's sort of my way of saying, look, this is coming from a place of caring, not a place of manipulation. You know, they're either going to hear it or they won't. It doesn't matter, but, but give, that gives them at least the best opportunity of being open to receiving it. Well, and if you tell them and they don't do anything, that's on them. But if you don't tell them anything, that's on you. Right. Which goes to, you know, and we probably close with this because otherwise we're going to go into another hour show. But, um, you know, I talk about the three accountabilities. I, I didn't mention it today, but, you know, there's, you, have, you have to be accountable to yourself is number one. You have to be accountable to your team and you have to be accountable to your mission. And I, I think you fail to be accountable to yourself and to your team if you don't tell them. I agree. So any, anything else, Darren? No, I thought it was great. Thank you, Dave. Really appreciate it. Great insight and wisdom as always. Well, thank you. And, and back at you. I love these conversations. Folks, if you have any questions for us, please let us know. We're happy to answer those. Um, and once again, let me put the call out. If you're having some challenges, either in sales conversations or leadership, and that could be sales leadership as well as any leadership, um, reach out to us. We'd love to uh, hot seat you. And, you know, I probably should come up with a different phrase because maybe that sounds painful. Um, but we'd love to have you on the show and, and, and work you through those challenges. And our promise to you is you'll come out better prepared than you went in for. 
Um, or if you have a story to share with us uh, about successes or maybe challenges you've had that you think our, our listeners would benefit from hearing from. Is laser coaching something that might work rather than hot seat? Oh, I like it. All right. We're going to burn them with a laser. Way better. <laughs> I agree. It's not painful, folks. I promise. All right. Till next time. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Darren. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you fail to disarm them.